Simplicity through complexity. Simplicity through complexity. 1 Corinthians 1, 18 to 31. If you want to turn in your pew Bibles to uh, 1104, it's on the screen too. So That's not it. That's okay. We can turn into our Bibles too because we still have them in the pews. Um, so 11, 1104. And um, just to give a little summary before we get to verse 18, um, and Paul, as he opens up all his letters... And, uh, and kind of asserts who he is as an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. He gives a grace and a blessing. He thanks them for, for who they are, um, for what God is doing in their lives. And within the Corinthian church, there was a lot of gifts that God had poured out in that church. And uh, gifts of um, uh, you know, healing and, and knowledge and, and all kinds of things. They were just rich in the Holy Spirit. But then Paul had to appeal to them. He had to appeal to them because he heard that there was divisions in the church. Um, he, uh, he heard there were problems, there were concerns. And so he wanted to call them out on it. Because he wanted them to stay strong in the end. And so he appealed to them. He said, get along. Why is one saying that I'm a follower of Paul? I'm a follower of Apollos. I'm a follower of... He said, is Christ divided? No. Christ is not divided. We all worship one God, Father, Lord Jesus Christ, and Holy Spirit. And so when he preached his message, he preached a very simple message. And he didn't come with great oratory. He didn't come with great fanfare. He didn't, he just, he came with fear and trembling and he gave the message of the cross. It's almost like he said, remember when you first believed and what God did in you and be united in love. And then he says in verse 18, he says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in wisdom, the God of the world, through the wisdom, through its wisdom, did not know him. God was pleased, however, through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand a sign and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. A stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles, but to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Think back, remember. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. Didn't come from, from kings and, and, uh, and, and big-name families. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. He chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to cancel out the things that are, so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God that is 
our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let no one boast, but only boast in the Lord. Thus far, the reading of God's word. Thanks be to God. Yesterday, we had Remembrance Day at the Cenotaph here in Athens, as they did, I'm sure, all across the country. And there we remembered those who died and were wounded and impacted by the war. And even on Friday, we had a Remembrance Day ceremony at the high school, and I was privileged to be able to give um, a prayer for that as well. And uh, my daughter Charlotte emceed that. And, and, you know, it was just, it was good to have that solemn ceremony for those kids to be able to reflect on that and remember that. And, you know, yesterday it was a joy and it was a privilege to see so many people come out and remember what happened in war. And even teenagers and children were there and took part. And as a community, to be able to um, remember our local veterans by even saying their names. Why? Because they're real people with real histories, with real experiences and families. Just like the life of Jesus. Wreaths were laid by various churches, schools, and organizations. Prayers were prayed, hymns sung, and as we reflected in silence as a way to honor the fallen. In simplicity, in reverence, and just showing up, we were able to pay respect for those who um, helped us to live in a free country. And really, it was just kind of a reflection, a mirror, a taste of what we celebrate here every Sunday and at special times of the year, such as at communion, a baptism, profession of faith, Christmas, and Easter. There's an organization that makes all that happen, but it should never be overanalyzed, criticized, or forgotten. And the focus is simple. The focus is simple, to remember. To remember and to believe. I just had a little bit of an illustration here. I just read them yesterday. (laughs) Yeah, right. Um, You know, these are all commentaries on the Bible. They dissect the Bible. They help pastors to understand it. They share stories and wisdom about the effects of good news written down in the Bible and ways individuals and churches can respond to it and share it. Wisdom and knowledge. I think farms have lots of farm magazines. Ray, John, still have all the, Henry, all those farm magazines, you know, and and you go through it. Why? Because you gain knowledge, you gain stories, they help you in your trade. As a pastor... Sometimes I wonder, what, what do I do with all this knowledge? Where do I start? It's kind of it's like my garage that I finally cleaned a couple of weeks ago. I kept looking at it for weeks and weeks saying, where do I start? Where do, you, where do I start? Does anybody have that feeling? Eh? Yeah, you have months and years of looking at it and say, where do I start? Where do I start? You know, I often wonder with all this knowledge here, you know, could AI and tech make this obsolete and you know I often fear that Um, you know it's kind of like the clutter in my garage Heather says just get a big dumpster and get rid of it all but I might need it someday you know I'm going to get rid of it and guess what's going to happen I'm going to have to go buy it because now I need it 
right? That always happens. Murphy's Law, I guess. But wisdom and knowledge, as we all know, is important, very important. It first enters our minds through observation. It's written down so it can be used by us and used by others. So I'm not sure really what Paul was talking about when he said, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent. I will frustrate wisdom and knowledge. Think about it. It helps coaches and sports players win their game as they analyze the plays of the other players. Businesses, it helps them get the edge on the competition and make money for their shareholders to grow their business. If you're in business and it's not growing, then it's dying, wisdom says. Wisdom helps teachers learn how to apply, uh, learn principles to be able to apply the knowledge that they teach so it will stick in those young kids' minds. Therapists learn wisdom so they can help fix the patterns and behaviors of their patients that come through with just, you know, thoughts and emotions that are all skewed. Researchers and doctors use it to help treat ailments that affect the body of their patients. And you get the point. I think you can come up with your own examples. We all participate in and benefit from wisdom and knowledge. We pride ourselves on having more of it because it helps us socially, relationally, and economically. The same techniques of business are actually used to grow churches. Willow Creek, the big church in Chicago, founded by Bill Hybels, prided itself in having CEOs on its board. It helps to get more Christian books sold, to sell more Christian songs, and it's used to get God's word translated and his messages out to people who have never heard about God before. It's fantastic when we use wisdom in this way. But oftentimes... I often think we can complicate the good news of Jesus. And that we think we need to know more and do better. And often that could come from a place of fear and pride and not being fully formed. Even in the Bible, it can become a stumbling block when we make sort of it the idol. See, authority is God through his son, Jesus. Sometimes we can miss the field for the grass. You don't believe me, just think of the slaves whose masters use Paul's words about obeying your masters while they themselves cheated, murdered, lied, beat, degraded an image bearer, a fellow image bearer of Almighty God. That happened. And old Frederick Douglass and his grandmother wanted him to read the Bible to him, which he did, but he said, don't read Paul. Don't read Paul. Why? Because it was rammed down their throats. People can misuse God's word. But God knew, God knew that the weight of evil or the abuses that are happening in the world are too much for us to comprehend. You know, up close, really, these, these evils, they, they mess with you. They cause PTSD. Serious fear and anxiety, as we all, as we all know and have heard. Victims of war, such as we remembered yesterday, those victims of sexual, physical, social abuse understand this. The full weight of the battle that Jesus won cannot be understood by our limited minds. It comes through surrender, trust, 
and laying down of her own weapons of rebellion and isolation. It's a message that's believed more than it's understood. You know, I find these books help to seek me to understand the truth, a truth that really is very, really very simple in the end. I'm not discounting all this knowledge and all this wisdom at all. I don't think Paul is. God uses wisdom and the gifts of his people to help clarify and understand. But the stories found in this book are complex and they're ugly because the personalities and the human nature is complex and ugly. Sin and evil is complex and ugly. But it all boils down to a very simple truth. The Old Testament I find, is read through the eyes of the New Testament. The New Testament is read through the eyes of the Gospels. And the Gospels share the story of the birth, life, death, resurrection, and ascension of the Son of God. His name is Jesus. It's that simple. It's that simple. But the simplicity of this message is actually in its its absurdity, what Paul calls foolishness. The eternal source of life, love, humility, entering our space at a particular time 2,000 years ago to a particular race, the Jewish people, to a particular tribe, the tribe of Benjamin, to a particular family, the line of David, who was born a male supernaturally through a virgin birth as foretold by the prophets, to a mother named Mary, which we will, we will celebrate this coming uh, Christmas next month. Raised by an earthly father named Joseph, whose trade was carpentry. Carpentry. He had brothers as well. They grew up in Nazareth. And you know, to most, actually, this is a very believable message. The evidence proves it. Most secular scholars believe it because it's there. Thousands of people, even over millennia, believe that they were human and divine and were worshipped as well. Thousands. I couldn't believe it when I looked on Wikipedia. It just went on and on and on. How many people said, I'm divine, you know, or, or called them, looked at themselves as having a divinity. But the absurdity, the foolishness comes when Jesus Christ did what no one else could do. He fought a war that no one else was capable of fighting, which is too big for our minds to understand, our small minds to understand. No matter how wise and powerful we are, no matter how much wisdom we gain, we really can't understand it. The God of all creation accomplishing this act through his own Son, carried out by the power of his Spirit, it's absurd and it's foolish to those who choose to go their own way. But it's simple. It's so simple that a child can understand it. And just as Greg had talked about, you know, that 414 window, A child can understand it, even at a young age. Or sorry, a child can believe it, not necessarily understand it. The message is simple. The foolishness of God is far wiser than any human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Yet human nature hasn't changed a whole lot. 
the advancement and the complexion, or the complexity of technology that comes through the wisdom granted by our image maker. It creates, often there's a power that's created unparalleled to any other time in history. And it's up the risk, it's upped the risk of incredible harm if it's not handled with a appropriate restraints. We have all this wisdom, but then there's this wisdom that's created things like, like bombs and nuclear weapons and, and things that could cause a lot of harm. I often think of the Tower of Babel where God comes down and he scrambles their language in order to kind of stop them from being, um, from making a name to themselves and becoming powerful. I often think about that today and kind of wish that God would do that and kind of scramble things a little bit, maybe a whole lot. But you see, wisdom and knowledge and power have really allowed for human flourishing and longevity, but it also has a counterfeit which disguises itself in light, but only causes destruction. And to me, this is what is absurd. This is the stumbling block to the world. The message of the cross is absurd, but it's simple. It's summed up in one name, the name of Jesus Christ. One who was anointed king and who comes to save. It's all in the meaning of his name, King of kings, Lord of lords, Prince of peace, the Savior of the world. Save from what, people say? Well, it's not a political, educational, medical, or an economic Savior. He's not that kind of Savior. But a saving of ourselves, which is a corrupted way of living. Sin really is spiritual rebellion against God. And it leads to selfishness and pride, the devaluing of people, as was happening in Corinth. That's what Paul was concerned about. He knew it would tear them apart. It's not only our words, but there's a counterfeit spirit that also seeks to divide. But we love, we love here today because he first loved us. And we have accepted that by faith. And then we grow through obedience. One small decision at a time for the right reason produces right living. One small decision at a time in the right dis- direction for the right reason produces the right dis- produces right living. So if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you can know him today when you call upon his name and surrender. Unlike going to see the king of England, and I admit, I was disappointed yesterday when we said, God save our noble king. <laughs> Didn't feel right. It's got to be queen. I want Queen Elizabeth back. Um, I do. It just didn't feel right. You don't have to clean yourself up before you come to him, as you do when you go to see the president or the king of England now. But Jesus will help you get clean by his Holy Spirit. He helps you. He cleans you. He fills you with faith, hope, and love. In fact, you can't get clean without Him. And Paul says it's complete foolishness. But this is the way that God wants it to be. The devil's power that's worked through the world's power is a counterfeit to God's power. Because God alone holds the keys 
to love, eternal life, forgiveness, humility. Because He is the source of all these things. And the only way was that He gave Himself for us. See, God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. The weak things to shame the strong. The lowly things, the despised things, the things that aren't. So that what? No one may boast before Him. and we come to Him and accept His wisdom, then it is our righteousness or right living, holiness, redemption, salvation, that no one who boasts, let him who boasts, boast only in the Lord. But let's too, also, as simple as the gospel message is, the message of Jesus, let's also keep sin simple as well so we can easily spot it. All our problems really are boiled down to seven big sins. And I'm not going to get into this now. i kind of thinking and praying about doing a sermon series on this. And uh, it's a fellow that I have followed for 20 years, Nathaniel Bronner, who really um, goes through each one of these. And there's so much wisdom that he shares about this. But it really boils down to this. It boils down to envy, greed, lust, gluttony, wrath, sloth, which is laziness, and the big one, pride. All our problems could be boiled down to one of those. And we can look at them as counterfeits to the nine fruits of the Spirit that Paul talks about in Galatians. And often these sins, whether it's our own doing, someone close to us, society around us, or the political, economic organizations that govern us. So sins that affect us, and it's why Jesus came to save I have found in life, continue to discover that we can influence, but we can't change others. We can't. Only God can. Only God can. We can change ourselves with the wisdom that we have in the world. Lots of people have changed themselves, made themselves better. Lots of people. But only Jesus can make a dead person live. Only Jesus. Now for the application. I've heard it said that we need to pray, but we also need to go out and plant potatoes. Has anybody heard that before? I thought that was really smart. We need to pray, but we need to go plant potatoes. Like the message of Jesus, which is so simple. If we simplify our lives, we could become more effective and less stressed. For our benefit, yep, but also for the benefit of Jesus Christ who lives within us. Here are some reasons life is so complicated and what to do about it. I got this from calmsage.com, so it's not my own. We focus on complexity more than simplicity. We have a tendency to be anxious whenever there's major changes in our life. We focus on changes of the unknown and it makes us anxious rather than fitting these changes into our new paradigm. Really, the only thing that is constant in life is God and change. For example, the pandemic made people's lives outside of their home very difficult. But instead of focusing on what you, making the most of it, people cursed the situation without maintaining calm or finding a solution or getting around it. My wife loved the pandemic. 
was able to learn new skills of quilting, soap making. It was great. She wants another pandemic. It's going a bit far, but... Um, you know, I've heard other stories of people that really had a big change in their life because of it. It's what you make of it. Control the things that you can. Forget about the things you can't control. It's actually called a complexity bias. It asserts that 90% of the easy solutions get stuck. We ignore 90% of the easy solutions and get stuck in the 10% of complexity when we're exposed to huge amounts of information. That's, that's me. I feel this way in sermon writing. But love and hope is simple. Fear and worry is complex. Next, worrying constantly. This was me growing up. Do you realize that when we worry constantly about something or we're stressed, we let precious energy and time go down the drain, right down the drain. If we worry and overthink about things, we're going to complicate life. In such cases, there's all kinds of things that people do, breathing, exercises, journaling, listening to music, meditating, seeing a therapist or a trusted friend. But for the Christian, too, we worship, we pray, we help and serve others. We confess our sins to a trusted brother or sister. And we let go of what we cannot control. Third, we try to control everything. Another way that we make life complicated is, is, um, is try to control the situation. But if we have a fear of something happening outside of our control, a terminal illness or losing someone we love, the truth is that we can't control it. And so it's necessary to break from the cycle of fear and carry a positive outlook. And you know, this is where our faith gives us the hope that everything will work out in the end because God is in control and we have heaven to look forward to. So let go and let God. Fourth, we depend on others for our own happiness. Basing our happiness on others' actions is just ruining our present life. Understand that happiness comes from within and losing yourself in this race does harm to a peaceful and productive life. If you're unhappy because of your spouse or your relatives or a co-worker, then it's time to look within yourself. But you know, the message of Jesus goes a lot further by putting himself in us and he gives us the tools that give us peace in the midst of chaos. Ask him to help you. Five. Last one, toxic and dramatic people. If you have dramatic or toxic people in your life who just like to create drama all the time, then keep firm boundaries. And at times, you just need to walk away. The negativity is overtaking the light of Jesus that you want to show through you, well, then walk away. Once you do, life becomes easier but always forgive. Always forgive. So these are just a few practical tips um, that you can take home and apply and think about. And in conclusion, the Jews wanted Jesus to do tricks and miracles. They wanted a sign 
The Greeks wanted more wisdom and sophistication and to make things complex, if you will. They wanted Jesus for what he could do for them, but Jesus came to do something within them. His truth and spirit, making a new person, a new human, not just one made in his image, but saved and redeemed by his love. This is the absurdity and the foolishness of the message of Jesus Christ. You can spit in his face and he will be silent. But the simplicity of the message, when it gets in your spirit, brings us together, unites us as believers, and makes us worship Him. And often we just want to sing, Great is Thy Faithfulness. Paul and the other apostles, they always brought it back to this. And God is asking us to bring everything back to who he is and what he wants to do in and through you. Amen. Amen. Let's call the word.